Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I am John Negroni from the Internet California. And from the internet Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also writes for The Playlist, Cut Print Film, Too Many Websites to Count. It's Will Ashton. Yeah, baby. Oh, coming in confident this week. I like it. Reference. Yeah, we have an incredible guest this week to help us review Incredibles 2. He is the editor-in-chief of Disney Film Facts. And you've also heard his, uh, his sweet pipes on the D-Cast. Welcome to the show, Skylar Schuler. Thank you so much. That's a uh, glowing introduction. I love it. Thank you so much for having me, though. Yeah, of course. And uh, what, what what else do you do, Skylar? We all we all know that you're the guy who writes about Disney, but you know, there's other stuff going on in your world, right? Oh uh, yeah, I uh, actually I'm the head writer for the Cinema Insider, uh, which is kind of our passion, uh, mine and my friend Derek Cornell's passion project. Um, I also write for that hashtag show. Um, you know, drop some exclusive stories over there, and um, yeah. You know, just staying busy writing, uh, going to film school, uh, just trying to make, you know, a living doing what I love. So are you going to make movies, Skylar? Disney movies? So, I, <laughs> hey, wouldn't that be the dream? Yeah. Actually, no, I'd like to be the guy in the background uh, for the company, whether it's on the marketing side, the working with the film division, mm. on the maybe promotions, marketing, executive assistant, um, you know, I making a disney movie yeah sure that'd be super cool too i'm not gonna ever rule that out but <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna turn it down if they bring it yeah, to you no mickey shows up at your doorstep with a suitcase that says california or bus but yeah. you're already there we need a wrinkle in time two director what it how's that sound <laughs> oh no um i yeah. don't know if that would uh <laughs> you know i don't think you want to take on that but yeah skylar yeah. uh yeah and you have like inside sources at disney don't you so like yeah, you can I, make it happen yeah i d- <laughs> yeah yeah it's called I, the I cinema insider I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, right. You know, I. Uh, so I do, but it not not to where it's like, hey, hey, get me a job. Like, it's oh, not yeah, you don't want to be that. Guy. I'm not that kind of. You yeah, gotta be cool no one wants it. to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's cool, and we're we're obviously happy to have you here. We've had Andy Herndon on the show multiple times. He also co-hosts the uh, Dcasts as well, and so we finally rounded it out. We we got everybody on here. Next up, we have to get whoever else you guys have had on Dcasts. I know there's a few. Uh, prominent voices. But for now, we've got you, Skylar, and we're happy to have you here because we're talking, of course, about the latest Pixar film. Before we get into Incredibles 2, and we'll also talk about that little short film that comes up beforehand, we have a few off topics to get to. First off, uh, Will and I are back. Will, how does it feel? Back? We were gone last week. We were, yeah. We gave uh, the reins over to uh Three great ladies, and they did a great show for Ladies' Night. And they are coming back without a doubt because uh, they did our Ocean's 8 episode, and they absolutely killed it. Uh, it was a blast listening to their conversation about not just Ocean's 8, but they their featured review, they went with Hereditary, which I think was an awesome call because I was... Uh, I had just watched Hereditary when I listened to their uh, to their review, so we're going to actually maybe talk about Hereditary in mini-reviews because Will and I saw it as well, and uh, we should say we have a ton of mini-reviews coming later in the show, so if you want to hear about Tag, uh, the, new se- the first season of Cloak and Dagger, 
and uh, Hearts Beat Loud. We have so many mini reviews. I don't want to say any of them because we, we might have too many. Will we? we yeah, might... <laughs> there might be stuff that we have listed that we're not even going to talk about. Yeah, because we'll there's so much episode. we have to talk about. Um, and, and it's not just because we were gone for a week. I think there were just a lot of releases. Yeah, it's just a bunch of content. A lot of yeah. it good. Which I'm happy to say. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, we can probably leave out some of the less good stuff. But even that stuff I'm maybe. interested in. I don't know. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Let's let's get to our uh, off topics, right? That's right. Yeah. So that's our first off topic. Uh, special thanks to Kimber, Alicia, and Candice for taking the reins and doing a great job. Can't wait to have them back on again. Uh, and also, uh, speaking of podcast guesting, uh, I was on uh, Sift Pop yesterday. Uh, will Ashton, have you ever heard of Sift Pop? Not until you mentioned it, but I'm going to check out your episode. Yeah, I'm going to send you the link. So Sift Pop is a podcast done by Aaron Dicer. Uh, he and uh, Andrew, I forget Andrew's last name. I feel bad. Uh, Andrew's awesome, by the way. Uh, Sift Pop is a, it's like a pop culture review podcast. We talked about Incredibles 2, the best Holly Hunter movies, which I had a blast talking about because no one ever asks me about Holly Hunter. And I wish they would. She's great. Um, it's just so many great films out there. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, how do you rank it down to like how many? How many did you come up with? Like, well, we, 50? we had honorable mentions. <laughs> yeah, she's made like fifty movies. Um, we had honorable mentions, of course, and then we did like our top three. Uh, my top three were uh, the piano, broadcast news, and raising Arizona. Um, okay, yeah. They also picked movies like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Always, The Firm, Incredibles, obviously. Mm-hmm. It it was actually it was probably my favorite part of the conversation. No, um, um Big Sick. Oh, oh, Big Sick was there too. That was in my honorable mentions. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that was our that that was a fun conversation. If you want to hear me talk about Incredibles two even more, if you for whatever reason you don't get enough from from me and uh, Will Ashen on this show, you should check that out. And uh, and it, it's a good podcast. We uh, also talked about uh, um, we also had like a spoiler thing too. So I don't know if we're going to get to spoilers for Incredibles two in this podcast. If you're looking for that, that might be a good option too. You could uh, get spoiled on Incredibles two over there. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, uh, so we are talking about a Pixar movie, and uh, I think uh, I think we would be remiss to not mention uh, that there were some big Pixar news this week. Not very positive news concerning John Lasseter. Will did you cover any of this for Cinema Blend, or are you prepared to sort of like give people the the rundown on this? Uh, I'm afraid I haven't covered any of it, but um, I'm somewhat familiar. I, I know the general basics. I was out of town when the big news thing hit, so wow. I didn't really follow it when it uh, landed on social media feeds, but uh, you can break it down. Well, I want to hear your take uh, and Skyler's take, obviously, but you know, John Lasseter, he's in his 60s. Uh, he was the chief creative officer of Pixar, uh, and he also became the creative officer of Walt Disney Animation Studio. I mean, this guy is like, uh, I've only met him once. Uh, I met him. Oh, really? You met him? Yeah, it was the I think 20th anniversary of Toy Story event, and it it yeah, and I I know his son is really good friends with uh, one of my former coworkers, so like you know out here in the Bay Area, it's just like you know you you turn around and you run into like an employee of Pixar, but uh, Lasseter he's been Pixar for years now. I mean he he was one of their first animators. Uh, He is uh, he's definitely somebody who. I would say is responsible for a lot of the early, like he was a really formative, you know, cog in the brain trust. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. I, I think it's without no, a doubt. I agree a hundred percent with that. 
Um, very smart guy, but uh, recently he has run into a lot of controversy. We don't know a ton of specifics. Apparently something really bad happened. The, my understanding is that something uh, akin to the Me Too movement happened that they are not being going public about, but uh, it is kind of wrapped around other reports of like just hugging people for too long, inappropriate contact, uh kind of an abuse of his power a little bit um, saying that he's basically creeping out a lot of employees, making them not feel safe. And I, and uh, I think they said some staff members felt disrespected or uncomfortable. And there's something else I believe that happened that they just aren't, they don't want to say, but like it was enough for them to put him on a forced sabbatical. So uh, Lasseter hasn't been around for a while, but the news came out this week. Uh, well, actually it came out earlier that he was going to be coming back to Pixar in a limited capacity. Um, and then that obviously didn't go over super well with anyone. Um, so the new news is that he will be leaving Pixar, uh, permanently, um, but with Pixar and Disney at the end of 2018. Uh, the news is that he is going to be overseeing the final stages of Toy Story 4 before he leaves. And that'll be it for John Lasseter. Uh, starting with you, uh, you know, Skylar, obviously you're someone who's been following the story a great deal. I mean, what's your takeaway from this? Uh, is there anything that I missed in kind of covering this? I, I, there's a lot of this story that we're not getting to. No, yeah. So I, I think you hit the the main points of the story. Um, overall, I don't know if this is the best idea. I, I was very vocal that I had heard from people that I know that he wasn't coming back, and they were preparing, uh, you know, what basically the Wall Street Journal said when they first reported it hmm. was that you know Pete Doctor and Jennifer Lee were the you know kind of the the heads being looked at. Uh, same with Lee, who directed Coco, um, and a couple other names over at Pixar. But that's Lee Unkrich. I'm sorry. Correct. Correct. I don't agree with it personally, uh, especially in the you know the movement we're at that we're allowing someone of power to come back after you know, like you said, something we don't know happened. Um, th- there's also reports that he would get you know extremely intoxicated at special events and you know at last year's D23. Um, so there's a lot of other things in this story we don't know about and we don't know 100% sure. I had heard in this, and I, I had said this before, I don't remember if I said it on the decast or if I wrote about it, but apparently Pixar is just a mess right now. Like there's no, Behind the scenes, Pixar doesn't you know, have a creative direction, which John Lasker gives Pixar. Um, but that doesn't mean you bring someone back after mm. a six-month sabbatical following you know these accusations i don't think it's just my opinion i get what john lassiter has brought to the table to the company in the last almost what 30 years mm-hmm. um but still there's i believe there's other storytellers at pixar at disney that can you know step in and you know guide this uh in the right direction when you think of a pete doctor as well who's been with the brain trust for for just as long um he's three for three kind of, too on his films oh exactly Oh yeah, I agree with that. Um, there's other names which I don't think they would consider. Which I, I, I think Andrew Stanton is someone to consider. I think you know Brad Bird would be someone to consider. Um, but yeah, I, there's stuff we don't know about. There, I, this bringing him back rubs me the wrong way. If you're going to get rid of him at the end of the year, why not just get rid of him now? Especially in a time where 
you know, you got the, like you had said earlier, the Me Too movement, Time's Up, you know, how can women feel safe knowing that the company is not backing them up on an immediate change uh, instead of one that's kind of temporary? And we should be clear, because I, I understand that some people will listen to this and be like, well, we, we don't know. Like, what if what if he's innocent, all this stuff? At this point, no, like many, many employees have spoken up um, about that something has happened. So we can't just kind of push it under the rug and be like, oh, maybe oh, exactly. this is right. We don't know. Just because we don't know specifics doesn't mean that this isn't uh, warranted. I mean, there is just an overwhelming amount of support for this decision for him to be leaving permanently. A little bit more controversy in like him kind of being sort of back and consulting for the next, uh, I guess, six months now. But Will Ashton, what, where, where are you at with his story? Uh, I mean, how do you feel about how this is going down? Um, well, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I have found this whole situation just to be very heartbreaking. Um, someone... I mean, he's just someone who I have looked up to a lot, and I found he was like, I mean, he's not really the face of Pixar, but he's kind of acted as such, and I feel like, in addition to these revelations, there was also a piece um, The Hollywood Reporter covered, just covering like a kind of long career of having um, an abuse of power and stuff, and it it really just makes me really bummed out to know that this is going on in a company I've respected a lot over the years, and... Um, I was surprised that he came back, to, truth be told. Um, I don't know who's going to take over his position. I have I think I heard Pete Docter was also mentioned as a possibility. Yeah, we mentioned to, that. Oh, you did? Yeah. I'm, my bad. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really want to say too much more because I'm still processing my thoughts on it. But yeah, yeah I just it's just very disappointing to me overall. Well, um, you know, Ed Catmull is, you know, he's he's getting up in age, but he's still, you know, he's Pixar's co-founder, and he's still the president of both Pixar and Disney Animation. So, you know, we still have we still have people there who are, you know, definitely the leaders of this uh, of this studio. And I don't know if I fully agree with the idea of Brad Bird uh, being in charge of Pixar because I feel like Pixar would just turn into Rapture from the Bioshock series. That that is a that is a mean joke. Um, about Brad Bird, I apologize. Um, I, I love Brad Bird, but uh, yeah, I think I'm, he I'm happy with him fan. being a filmmaker and writing and directing movies. Truth be told, but yeah. if he got the job, I mean, he's a great storyteller. So, oh, trust me, if it was my decision, Pete Doctor would get the job. But I, you know, I, the other names that have been thrown out there, I'd be super cool with. I'd be, I'd even be cool with Jennifer Lee. I, yeah. I have no problem with that. Um, Her and uh, Byron Howard from Zootopia. Um, there's a lot yeah. of great names out there. Being Rich uh, Moore. Yeah. So that's that's the John Lasseter controversy. Uh, you know, a little bit of a a Lasseter in the room that we had to address. Uh, as you know, going into this Incredibles two topic, you know, and uh, so that's that's the backdrop. I will say that. I, I've liked a lot, you know, I've liked the latest Pixar movies. I like that they have a bunch of original movies coming out after Toy Story 4. Um, it it kind of feels like they've made a bunch of sequels. They've sort of done their, their crowdfunding. It's like their own form of crowdfunding, really, to make sequels um, so that they can do another run of just straight original movies. I think we're going to get like four in a row. So uh, hopefully that lives up to uh, the Pixar brand that we know and uh, hopefully love. So that said, let's talk about Bow, the uh, new short film that uh, premiered right before Incredibles 2. This is a film uh, directed by Domi Shi, 
who is she is just a she's only 28 years old uh she started as an intern story artist at pixar she's worked on inside out good dinosaur now incredibles 2 and she pitched this short film idea to pete doctor himself got it approved and pete doctor even signed on for one of the weirdest twists i think pixar has ever done um (laughs) So what did you guys think of this, this, this short? Um, I want to hear first, Skylar, uh, kind of give us a breakdown. Like, what, what is this short about without giving too much away? How do I give this? How do I talk about this <laughs> short with not, you know, without, not, without giving the twist away? Because um, it, it's kind of tough. But, uh, man, how do I give this away? Will, do you want to take on this, this <laughs> job of kind of talking um, about it? Because that's a, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's a, it's a very interesting metaphor on parenthood and uh, creation, I guess, in uh, more ways than one. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure which twist you mean, like the inciting incident or like the end or thing towards the end. Kind of a kind of. Well, not the inciting yeah, incident. I mean, you can tell if you look at the stills that this is about a dumpling that comes to life. Um, you have this mother who is clearly going through like some form of like depression, you know, her husband is kind of just staring at the TV and like, yeah, yeah. you can tell that she wants something more out of her like day to day life. Um, this is a Chinese Canadian, uh, setting, which is very interesting too. Yeah. I mean, from a visual standpoint, it's beautiful. Um, I really feel like this is probably my favorite uh short in a while because i wasn't really crazy about the last two i mean i I thought piper looked beautiful but i wasn't really super captivated by the story um lou i just found kind of odd um (laughs) yeah there wasn't much to it but uh i think i I mean i got that it's pixar so that's why i was nominated for an oscar but like i I thought it was kind of one of their weaker efforts to be honest um i think i think this one in my opinion is their best since sanjay's super team um okay yeah i agree with that um, I yeah. love that short. Uh, but okay, and did you like this one, Skyler? Yeah, so at first, I didn't like it. I, I was just like, this is kind of weird. I, it's kind of silly. And then it kind of, uh, you know, as it gets moving and, you know, the the char- the, the little dumpling character kind of starts, um, I would say, developing, uh, I, start to, I start to warm up to it. And by the end, it, it had an emotional impact on me. Um, and that's what I love about Pixar short films is they give you this emotional impact, whether it's, you know, it's humorous or it's sadness or it's joyful. Um, it, it gives you that a good feeling once it ends. And I think this one did a great job. Um, and I, I would agree that it's probably their best since Sanjay Super Team. I would agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, go see it. Uh, we can't really go much further than that. I wish we could because there's a lot yeah. to unpack here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird because like, <laughs> I'd love to talk about it more, but I'm kind of walking on eggshells here because I don't want to exactly. give anything away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's it's very creative, very sweet. It definitely felt like their most heartfelt since um, Sanja's Super Team. So I, I want people to check it out and I, I'd love to hear more opinions about it. So. And I'm glad uh, yeah. this is the thing that propelled Domi Shi to a bit more status at Pixar. So she actually, she pitched three ideas for a feature-length film to the Brain Trust. And one of them is going to be turning into a movie that she's going to help develop. Uh, there's even been rumors that she could, she's she's probably going to be one of the head artists, but uh, who knows, maybe she could be a director of a Pixar film one day. And if the future of Pixar are people with like her kind of like, out of the box thinking, uh, mm-hmm. then I'm super happy about that. So 
That's Bao uh, right before Incredibles 2. Let's get into actually Incredibles 2. This is the 20th Pixar film. We made it. 20 films by this studio. Uh, quite quite a ratio, I think, from uh, in terms of the quality of their movies. But this is the second Incredibles film. It's been 14 years since the first Incredibles came out in 2004. Once again, the film was directed by Brad Bird. Uh, he also did The Iron Giant and Ratatouille. He tried. He did a few live-action films with uh, varying degrees of success, but he's back to do animation. This is his first movie since Tomorrowland, which didn't do super well. Uh, actually kind of flopped, didn't it? Um, that was that George yeah. Clooney Disney yeah. film. Um, but the cast is back. The writers are back. Craig T. Nelson uh, voices Bob once again. Holly Hunter is Mrs. Incredible slash Elastigirl. Samuel L. Jackson, Sarah Vowell, Huck Milliner taking over as Dash from Spencer Fox because he aged out of the role. And uh, a whole other list, Catherine Keener, Bob Odenkirk. There, there are a lot of uh, voices in here. But let's let's talk about what we thought of Incredibles 2. This one takes place right at like right after the first movie it's pretty seamless transition and it follows the ongoing adventures of the Parr family starting with you will ashton i know incredibles is near and dear to your heart tell, tell us your headspace going into this one yeah I'm, I'm nervous um let's see so like you said i mean the incredibles one is one of my favorite movies it's one of the movies i've rewatched the most of my life i can't even tell you how many times i've seen it uh and I consider it basically a near-perfect film. Um, not flawless, but basically, as far as the story is concerned, near-perfect. I really am impressed by uh, how well that movie is put together in many, many ways. And this is a movie I've been waiting for more than half my lifetime, 14 years. Uh, and I didn't honestly know if we'd ever get this movie. Um, I know Pixar has been chugging more with sequels lately, but it just seemed like Brad Bird was always kind of keeping this one at bay. Like, he was writing it, but... He never knew, really knew like if he was really going to dive in and make it, and uh, it's here. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. I am not going to say it's on par with... Uh, I guess that's a bit of a joke. It's not quite on par <laughs> with uh, um, The Incredibles 1, just because I don't think the story is quite on is quite as tight. Um, I think it's there's a lot going on. It can be a little busy, especially towards the third act, which gets a little bombastic. Not in a bad way. I was still very entertained by it, but... It does get a little busy, especially compared to the first movie. Um, and there are a couple other things I'll nitpick here and there as we continue our conversation. But I just felt so relieved to be back in this world. Um, it really is a testament to Pixar that going into this world, even though the animation is definitely improved and uh, it's been quite a bit of time, it just feels so seamless to go back into it. And it just... It made me, in a kind of weird little way, it made me feel like a kid again, just going back into the world and the Incredibles. And uh, I enjoyed the new characters. I love that we got to actually focus more on Jack-Jack, who is probably my favorite character in the first movie. And I think every single moment with him was a delight, especially as he's learning his powers and especially as uh, the other characters around him are learning his powers. Um, I I don't know. I, I don't want to go on too long because I'm just going to be praising a lot of the movie. I felt like this was maybe the most entertained i've been in the theater this year wow. and um yeah i honestly really really enjoy it i'm not gonna say it's perfect but i just enjoyed this film immensely awesome Ed. you know <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get into some of the things that i think hold this one back compared to the original but uh, before we do skyler schuler uh you saw this at the premiere uh i think the world premiere right so i actually saw it on the disney lot the day of the world premiere ah, um gotcha 
So they had the world premiere at the El Capitan, and while they were doing that, uh, press was at the uh, studio lot at their little theater. Um, so that's where I was. Pretty fun. Yeah, it's a nice little theater too. They, uh, it's always a fun time to go on the lot when they screen movies. Um, but yeah, I saw it there. It was a, it was a good time. The movie itself, um, <laughs> this is where everyone's gonna hate me. Um, I love Pixar. Like, there's, I love their imagination. I love their storytelling. I love, you know, the, the creative brain trust they've created. I was never. I like Incredibles, but I was never one of those people that thought Incredibles was like top five Pixar that, to me. And everyone's like, "How dare you? That's that's a sin." And and I get it. It's a different um, opinion. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I like Incredibles. I enjoy Incredibles, but it was never one where I was just like, "Love it." Gotta gotta get a sequel. Um, I am happy to say, even though I didn't think this movie needed a sequel, I'm glad we got the sequel. I think it's a solid Pixar sequel in, um, you know, I, I, I had said this on social media. I think it's the best sequel since toy story three. It's a lot of fun. They developed the characters a little more. Uh, they felt, it felt like 14 years had gone away and it's like, we had just seen these characters yesterday. Uh, the new characters were solid. They, they had a, a you know, um, you know, they, they brought these characters to life in new ways, which I thought were interesting. Um, it's a lot of fun. Like, you know, like Will said, it's not a perfect movie, but you know, for a, for a Pixar sequel, I think they did a really good job. Um, and there's a couple little things in there as well that I, I could nitpick, but you know, it's, there's just so many good things about this movie that I think it does outweigh the, the little nitpicks. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm curious to see what you think of it, John. Better than Finding Dory? What? Oh, a million times better than Finding Dory. I concur. Uh, I yeah. definitely agree with that. I really love Find, Finding Dory. Finding, Finding Dory is Pixar's secret life of pets. You got okay. That is the worst thing I've ever heard come out of anyone's mouth, um, <laughs> even in 2018. Uh, but no, I I have you, you guys know Finding Nemo is my favorite Pixar film, and I I, I love those characters so much. But I will say. I'm I'm not like either of you when it comes to Incredibles the original. I you know cuz I really I love it probably as much as Will does, but I didn't love it at first. I consider it more of a slow burn than some of the other Pixar films. I consider all of Brad Bird's films to be like you see it and then I think it his films t- take a while to really like get me to appreciate them as much as I do. Cuz I remember when I first saw like Iron Giant as a kid, when I saw Ratatouille the first time, you know, I, I liked those films, but I didn't really consider them amazing or really important or very deep and layered until I saw them like a third time or a fourth time. And that's something I deeply respect about Brad Bird as a filmmaker, because you it, it's the kind of movie it's like, you know, sometimes you watch like a lot of these Marvel films and you really love them the first time, these superhero movies. And then as like you keep watching them, like you get it, like the, there's just not much more to them than the, the first time you see them in the theaters, right? Um, with the exception of like Thor Ragnarok, in my opinion. But Incredibles is one that every time I revisit that movie, I, I find something new about it that I never, it never even occurred to me before. Uh, I, you know, all of the different things, all of the different ways that they, that this the world building is done here because it's it's not like our time period, it's not like our world, it's not like our our gravity, our physics. And if there was one thing really holding back Incredibles 2 that is really present in the first Incredibles, 
it is how good the villain was. I think the villain in the first Incredibles is the best Pixar villain we've ever had. Uh, and I think it's one of the best superhero villains and any superhero movie we've had in this like current era of superhero films. I, I just think Syndrome is such a well-realized character, a very prescient character for what we're dealing with today in light of, you know, like Star Wars fans being a bunch of yeah. just horrible, horrible mm-hmm. human beings. I agree 100%. And, and, yep. just said. and like 14 years ago, Syndrome epitomized that sense of fan entitlement way before it Definitely, was ever yeah. really a big issue, right? So all oh, of that that's said... That's a good point. All of that said, I think that going into Incredibles 2, I really wanted a movie that you know, it had an opportunity to say and do something that maybe maybe did what the first Deadpool did in 2016, which is, you know, kind of put the superhero genre to shame thematically. And Incredibles 2 doesn't do that at all. Uh, it doesn't even try to. What it does is it puts the action and spectacle of our current era of superhero films to shame. With the exception of Avengers Infinity War, I would say that the action in Incredibles 2 honestly makes me wonder why we've been so uh and actually i shouldn't say that. i really enjoyed the action in uh spider-man homecoming and thor ragnarok but wait, man, when you see some of these set pieces in incredibles 2 with elastigirl in particular it it, it is some of the most inspired it, it, filmmaking that we've seen for an action film up there with in my opinion mad max fury road i i mean just so much imagination so much out of the box thinking that serves the story i i was really taken by this movie on those those levels when it comes to the villain and how things come together i'm a little weaker uh but what do you, what do you guys think of the story here what do you think of like all the subplots the decision to you know the, the way they break things down starting with you will ash well i was going to say i think what makes this movie stand out to me as far as uh, where it stands with other superhero movies, that I think it's kind of a return to the pulpiness of uh, superhero movies. Like, I feel like there's obviously exceptions. Like I, like you mentioned, Thor Ragnarok has that kind of pulpiness. But I feel like a lot of these superhero movies of late have been very serious and thematically dense. Not to say this movie is uh, any frivolous. It's not frivolous at all. It's definitely talking about something very serious and relevant. But I feel like when you're talking about the action scenes, there is like that kind of like energetic pulpiness that i feel like has been kind of missing since like honestly maybe sam raimi's spider-man movies like i feel like they haven't had that same kind of high energy and like goofiness in a good way that uh i've tend to love with superhero movies but i don't know i mean i think the story i mean like i've said before i think there's a lot going on i think that's what happens when you sit on a project for 14 years that you i think brad bird just has a lot to say and some of it doesn't translate quite as uh, seamlessly as it did in the first movie but I do appreciate how this movie is first and foremost about the family dynamic. I mean, obviously the superhero backdrop is there, but I mean, it's really just about like a family kind of dealing with their own individual kind of drama and how they kind of learn to work together and uh, save the day and how that kind of is a potent metaphor for how, you know, being a parent, you kind of have to be a superhero in your own little ways. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I really do love what Brad Bird brings to the story and what he says with these movies. Um, like I said, I mean, it's not perfect, but I do think it is really effective. What about you, Skylar? Do you agree with any of that? Or are you about to challenge Will for the, the throne of public opinion? <laughs> no, I, I mean, in all honesty, I, yeah, it's an easy throne to take. So, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. No, I, I no, I, I agree with, with, with actually both of you um, in terms of, you know, not only, the the spectacle of Incredibles two, um, and and it's funny you watch the I just rewatched the the first Incredibles maybe a week before seeing the the new one, 
and you just you can see Brad Bird wanted to kind of take these characters that we loved and just say, here's what you were missing from that first film. Let's let me show you what they can do. Let, I thought what they did really nice in this movie is show that they're kind of still learning their powers. Like it's, we, we know what Violet can do. We know what Dash can do. We know what Elastigirl can do, but we, they're still learning. They're still young. And that's what I like. And, um, the spectacle of how they use their powers, the imagine the ideas on how they use their powers, like especially um, on the the yacht scene in particular, how they, without giving anything away, how they are able to come together, use all their powers um, to kind of create movement in the yacht without giving anything away, um, was really kind of cool, and I, I I think Brad Bird did a really good job. Uh, bringing something new to the table in terms of superhero movies that's live action and animation um it was just great visual storytelling i want to piggyback off of that because i was having a hard time understanding what the story arcs were for a lot of these characters um because i was i was having issue with like i, I just didn't get the sense that elastigirl really learned anything throughout this movie that I just felt like dash for such a quick character was very static you know <laughs> And I, I don't know, the, I, I thought that Violet and Mr. Incredible were the ones who had, like, lessons to learn, and they actually changed throughout the movie, and they were, I thought, were the most interesting to watch uh, part of the time, with the exception of Elastigirl showing off her powers. But piggybacking off of what you said about the family using their powers together, I, I do think that that's what Brad Bird was going for. And again, he does this. He makes me think about yeah. things the second, third time I see a movie. I've seen the movie twice now. And and also, I should give credit to Aaron Dicer, because we were talking about this on Sip Pop yesterday, and he brought up a brilliant point that really, if you, if you strip down this movie to its basics, it is about a family learning what everyone's role is in the family. Um, and it, it is about, like, that. that is what everyone's kind of learning throughout. It, and everyone using their powers together is supposed to parallel with a family coming together and understanding where they fit in the family. Now, I don't think the movie, I think that, that that's brilliant. That's an awesome way to tell this story. I don't think the movie really executes this sort of uh, idea perfectly throughout the whole thing but i do think it is there and i really appreciate that um it probably sounds like nonsense let's let's dive into uh, uh some character work here though um specific characters now um we mentioned jack jack definitely steals a show well can you go into more detail though i mean what did you like about jack jack this time around um compared to the first film i mean obviously he's actually in this movie and has a real role in it but go ahead yeah i mean like he's obviously playing a part in the dynamic now i mean with the first movie, he's like, I don't want to just say a comedic relief character, but he's just like, I mean, he, he serves a purpose, but it doesn't really get fulfilled until the end of the film. Whereas with this movie, we actually kind of get to see, like, everything he can do. And honestly, I mean, there, there could be even more. He's, a, I think, is it a palomorph? Is that what the term is for what he is? Um, he, you know, he has, like, 17 powers or something well, crazy like that. don't they say like that. that, like, um, it's kind of normal for, like, the younger you are in this world you tend to have more powers than more than one power or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if they said that, I might have missed it, but I mean, that would make sense. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's pretty potent as like a metaphor for like, you know, kind of developing as you get older and kind of figure out what your role is. But um, yeah, no, I, I just, every single thing he does. I mean, like I, you could argue that like the raccoon scene, like it maybe is a little uh, superfluous. Like you didn't really need it necessarily, but oh, honestly, shut I, your mouth. Will I needed that 
It's, I no, no, hang on, scene. hang on. I was I saying that it, other I people had are to saying have that. It. I'm saying. Well, they suck. Oh, okay. Well, let me finish my point, please. I'm sorry, I just. <laughs> um, I was gonna say that was probably the funniest thing I've seen this year at the movies. I mean, I I was dying that during that scene. That was fantastic and weirdly pretty uh, relevant. Given last week's news with the raccoon, um, <laughs> I really was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I honestly, everything with Jack Jack uh, amused me so much, and uh, I, I think he is a big reason why this movie is so entertaining. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, as far as this dynamic in the film, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if they're going to do a third movie or not. They're really going to develop that more. But I mean, it's definitely he definitely played a bigger part in the uh, the family saving the day. And I mean, he was just I just love him so much. Jack Jack's probably one of my favorite Pixar characters ever. Yeah, I, that that entire scene is brilliant. Uh, will will go down as one of my favorite Pixar scenes uh, in, that they've ever done. Um, no, Skylar, I I heard from your voice that you were probably a fan. Oh. I I was a fan. I if I could get that whole scene in a full movie, I'd watch it in a heartbeat. <laughs> just just give me give me another forty five minutes of that scene uh, playing out. I don't I don't. Yeah, is it is it going to get old? Sure, but I want to see it. <laughs> well, what's uh, great about it is was, it's the perfect. It, it, the timing is just perfect of it. Oh, of course, yeah. I I just want I just want that scene. I want it again. I want to see more of it. The way this... they the way they fought each other was just so funny. I. The, just the idea, and this is once again going back to Brad Bird creating fantastic ways to show off these characters' powers and to do it for a baby character, which could come across as maybe a little tougher to do. It worked perfect in this scene. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and I want to talk about, because the the person who has to take care of Jack-Jack, obviously, is Mr. Incredible. Now, here, here goes into one of my my criticisms here now i do i what i love about the movie is that for most of it we have mr incredible and elastigirl are separated not like marriage wise but uh she's off doing um a public relations boost for super so they can be legal again that's her role um and she gets to have this really fun adventure um with a screen slaver and kind of a boring villain but you know she's having fun doing super stuff and it is juxtaposed with the superheroic act of parenting, as Will alluded earlier. And I love the way that, like, these scenes, the, the pacing of this movie is so great because you never feel overload of either of these dynamics. Uh, when you need kind of a breather from, like, the high-energy Elastigirl scenes, you get into the more sitcom, you know, Mr. Incredible trying to take care of the kids. And a lot of it was stuff that we haven't really seen before, like the way that he's trying to to fix Violet's uh, problems because there's this whole subplot with Violet's... Uh, um, one of her her boyfriend, uh, if you would, uh, having issues with that, which leads to one of the funniest moments in the entire film that doesn't include Jack Jack, uh, involving uh, a restaurant called the Happy Platter. I I don't know about you guys, but both times I've seen this scene in theaters, the audience has lost its collective mind because it's such a, a hilarious moment. Um, but like little things like that, right? I feel like we've never we've never really seen like that take before of like the dad trying to handle the kids, and uh, it, it's where like a lot of the film's sweet moments come in, like when you have Mister Incredible staying up all night to try to to try to learn math, <laughs> you know. And but it's played seriously, like it's played like he's really trying to adapt to this new role that he never had to before. If you remember in the first film, he was, you know, like he would come home from work, be very like checked out and stuff. And I th- I love the way. That 
that they did that. But this leads into a criticism of the film because you have all of this work to really make Mr. Incredible go through this emotional journey. And do you guys get this? It just ends. Like it, it never is fully resolved to me. Like I think that it, the, the third act happens and we never really get a full reckoning of his insecurities and a lot of the stuff that was going on there. Do, do you guys agree with that or what's up? I, I would agree. I, I think there's a little bit of resolution at the end. I think you can, I think you can see it a little. I think you can, where Mr. Incredibles just, you know, as it ends, you know, he, you could just, and it's more about how you see it. I don't think it's storytelling wise. I would agree. Um, Just the way Mr. Incredible at the end of the film is looking at his family. Like, I think he sees his family in a whole new light. Now that's something you would have to play with. Um, I do agree that storytelling wise, they kind of drop the ball on that because you do, you do feel for Mr. Incredible. There's, um, there's stuff that's very relatable and you've already talked about it, but the, the whole math scene where like math is changed. Why is math, math is math. And, um, (laughs) you know, and, you know, staying up all night with a child and going through that and needing sleep and what it's like to, you know, overexert the day and, um, take, taking care of kids by yourself, like it's super relatable. And I, from a story, storytelling standpoint, I think you you hit it. It there is no resolution there. They don't kind of say, oh, like, well, here's this. This is how it should end. Like with him and his family. You, the way I saw it was, it's more of a visual storytelling to where that was resolved. But I guess that's different for everyone. I don't think everyone's going to catch it or maybe there, there is no visual storytelling. Maybe that's just something I'm kind of bringing up in my head, but I, I, I think this movie does do a good job of, you know, showing what it's like to go through some hard times as a single parent, even though that's not what it is at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think you kind of hit all the points uh, that I kind of feel. Do you agree, Will? Disagree? Yeah, I I don't disagree. I don't know. I mean, like, I guess, like, the basics of uh, Mr. Incredible's character, he's, like, this kind of old-fashioned dad. He's, like, I mean, the first movie is having, like, a midlife crisis. He's, like, very nostalgic, very much about the glory days and stuff like that. And I was a little disappointed, like you, in the beginning, that he, the progression that came in the character kind of went back a little bit for the sake of this story. But... I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say he didn't have an arc. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to see the movie again at some point, and I'll probably have a more firm opinion about it. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm like completely happy with how they resolved his character, but um, I, I wasn't really disappointed by it, too. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll, no, I'll think about this one a little more. Sure. I I wish we could talk more about the villain because that's really where my main yeah that's the sticking point issue is yeah they play it off as a twist that is pretty obvious um, yeah we won't get into it because we don't want to spoil it obviously and I I, 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 I do think that kids will be surprised some kids it's it, it's oh, just yeah. super generic compared to the first film where it felt so personal and uh, you know like you said before pretty telling ahead of its time in some ways and this ending is just kind of your basic. Rather mill. Yeah, like they didn't really villain. put as much effort into it. I, I don't think the motivations of this villain make any sense. And my my biggest issue is that you have this character called the screen slaver who's all like, you're paying too much attention to your screens. But there's nothing in the third act that really brings all of that to the forefront. Uh, the way that the villain fights our heroes in the end has nothing to do with that theme. It just sort of drops. And the third act is and, about other uh, affairs. And I also do think that, okay, 
you, you can stop the, stopping a runaway mine drill, fun. Stopping a runaway monorail, fun. When you do it again in the third act, it was really wearing me out. And the helicopters, too. It was just a lot of the action in here was just a lot of these superheroes using their powers to stop destruction. And it was I thought it was just kind of repetitive. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird villain for this universe, too, because, I mean... Uh, I mean, for us, it's very relevant, but in this world, it's like kind of like a 50s, 60s kind of thing. Well, yeah, but they, and, they do uh, I know it's, like it's, it's, it's like, own little universe, so it's like not yeah. exactly like ours, but I but mean, I think, it is kind of... I do kinda, like, though, that it applies yeah. to like people like just watching television sets, though. Yeah, like the right. advent of technology or like the advent of like uh, yeah. like the TV era, I guess. But um, yeah, no, I mean, like I think it's a, it was a better idea on paper than it was in execution. And that's a shame because I think it's really the thing that kind of takes the movie back for me. Um, but I don't know. I didn't hate the villain necessarily. It's just, like you said, it's just kind of generic. It's, it's fine, but especially compared to syndrome who is honestly, I mean, like, I mean, maybe only second to the Joker as far as, uh, superhero villains. Um, yeah, it's just such a, it was just kind of a bummer, but I mean, that's only the really, that's the biggest knock I could give against the film is just the ho-hum villain. What about you, Skyler? Yeah, I, I would agree that the villain the villain itself is is pretty weak. I I really like though the motive. Without spoiling it, I really like the motivation for the villain. Uh, the little history that's given for uh, for that villain. Um, I like the motivation. I don't like how it was played out. How it was drawn out. Um, I think what made Syndrome so good is that there was a personal connection to the main character in the first film, where in this one, it, there was no connection. Uh, it, it was basically motivation for themselves, which is okay, but I, I think the bigger drawback to me for this film was it was just super predictable. And also, I just don't think the plan makes any sense, like what this person wants to do. Yeah, like, I agree with that. It's like there are ways to do what you're trying to do without doing what you're doing i again we can't get into it but yeah i just think it's kind of dumb i, I don't know i yeah. it, it's one very, of those it's just very predictable i think yeah. if you're the new generation of you know pixar animation or just movie fans if you're a younger generation it, it's they're probably going to enjoy the villain and they're probably not going to predict anything but i think you know if you i think anyone that's 16 or older can predict yeah. this movie like nothing but as a fan of the first film and uh, like you guys where we waited half our lives for this film to come out, they do kind of drop the ball with the villain and it is predictable. And that's my, that's my one drawback. I, like I said earlier, I think there's a lot more fun to be had than there is to have, you know, negatives to be had, but you know, yeah, it's it's deep in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had such big shoes to fill and it's just weird. That felt like kind of like an afterthought in the scheme of things, but I don't know. I mean, Brad Bird has so much on his mind here. He's obviously very inspired um, with the characters and the story, set pieces and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. It, it is a bummer, uh, ultimately. But it didn't kill the movie by any means. No, no. Um, let's let's get into our final thoughts and we'll grade this thing. Um, Will, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, Incredibles 1, I would say that's an A-plus film. If you want to know what an A-plus film is for me, that's it. It's Incredibles. Um, as far as this movie, I don't know. I mean, I would say maybe quality-wise, it's probably closer to a B-plus, just based on some of the things we brought up and some of the very uh, inherent flaws with the film. But for me, as far as enjoyment value, as far as uh, what I got out of the film, 
I'd say it's honestly an A minus. And I mean, it's like I said, I mean, it's some of the most fun I've had in the theater uh, this year, maybe in the past couple years. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite Pixar sequels. I don't think it's quite as timeless as Toy Story 2 or 3, but I would put it above every other sequel and prequel we've got from the company, truth be told. So I don't know. I liked it a lot. I'm a big fan of Brad Bird. Um, I obviously love this universe so much, and I would like to see a third one if that ever comes to be. But for now, I'm very happy with what we got, and I'm glad we actually got this movie. It's not the perfect sequel, but it's pretty darn good. So yeah, I'm going to give it an A minus. Yeah, I hope there's a third one too. Um, and I hope that when they do one again, I just really want to see more of this family working together, maybe going on a mission together. And I want to see more of their powers building off of the other. There's a little bit of that here, but we spend so much of this movie with uh, the family broken up, which I thought was kind of weird because <laughs> that was the first yeah. movie. Um, so I was a little bit bummed out by that. But uh, yeah, I have to agree with a lot of what you're saying, Will, because it, I mean, it, the, the standard is like what we have in theaters right now. Incredibles 2 shines above a lot of uh, action films, a lot of what we get from animation and expect from animation, even for a Pixar film. So I really like this one a lot. I, I give it a B plus. Uh, I think that you know, it, 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 if a, with a better villain and some better writing in the way that some of the, like if a better third act, honestly, uh, I think this could have easily been an A movie for me. But uh, yeah, just a few things that I think hold it back from that that level. Uh, and then uh, Skyler, you get the last word. Yeah, well, I, to piggyback off of what both of you had said, it you know, it's I think once again, it's it's good storytelling despite how predictable it is i think you know the new characters they're fun to explore their powers and to see them uh, you know uh kind of interact with you know the characters we know and love uh, i think we get a lot more of you know uh, we get a lot more of this family and, and what they can do which i really enjoyed i there's there's a good family element to the film which i think is huge um is it once again predictable? Yes. Uh, lazy villain? Yes. Do we like the motivation? No. Um, uh, I would say it's a solid B. I, I think it's a. It's like I said, it's the best sequel to me since Toy Story three. It's a lot of fun. I would be open to a third movie. I think Pixar, Brad Bird, and that team over there have done a great job bringing this story back after 14 years and these characters and i i'd be open to seeing them again if i have to wait another 14 years to get a, a movie <laughs> like this and i think i'd be okay with that hopefully not that long <laughs> right no yeah. no trust me i don't want to wait 14 years seriously five years five is fine i agree oh, uh, by That's the way what do we think about um bob odenkirk and jonathan banks taking over for rick decker oh, or dicker i'm sorry wait Oh, 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 for, uh, uh, oh, you mean, um, Jonathan Banks taking over for, um, Bud Lucky. Yes, yeah, sorry. I was gonna say, I was like, the caseworker? Yeah, because that was, uh, Bud Lucky who voiced him in yeah. the first movie. Yeah, um, he died last year, I believe. Yeah, um, I thought he did a good job. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, a, it's not the biggest role, but, you know. Yeah. What do you? What did you think of really quick uh, to kind of bounce off your ideas? What did you think of the new voice of Dash? Great, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was pretty seamless. Yeah, I thought he did a great job. He gets some of the best lines. Um, is she having adolescence? Is what I'm going to say now about yeah. my 14 year old niece. <laughs> that's funny. So just saying. All right. Well, that's Incredibles 2. That's a B plus average uh, overall. I think we all really enjoyed this one, and I think it's a. a 
good enough to go see in theaters if you have any interest whatsoever. Uh, thank you, Skylar Schuler, for reviewing this film with us and giving us your thoughts. And it was a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I loved being on, and uh, hopefully we could do this again. Yeah, yeah hopefully definitely. not in five years when Incredibles yeah. comes out. Yeah, exactly. There we go. I have my uh, calendar open. All right, let's get into our mini reviews. Like we said at the start of the show, we have a lot. And we're going to try to see how much we can do in a reasonable amount of time. I think, Will, we, a lot of these we can just do very quickly, say something brief, um, and then move on. Because, you know, for example, there are a couple of movies here that have been talked about on the show already. Uh, and we just want to let you know what we think about them. But let's start with a movie that is also releasing this week. That'll be a little bit more of a mini, re- you know, it won't be a mini, mm-hmm. mini review, I guess. Tag. Uh, Will... <laughs> Tag is a new movie that I think you and I are not quite on the same page about, I want to say. Um, uh, that's putting it mildly, I guess. Putting it mildly. Uh, so <laughs> first, I will I will describe what this movie is. This will, this one is directed by Brett Haley. Uh, are, are you familiar with Brett Haley's other work? No, I not. think you got that mixed up. Isn't it Jeff Tozmek? Oh, is the yeah. Sorry. I was thinking of Hearts Beat Loud. Jeff Tomsick. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Jeff Tomsick, honestly. Yeah, this is his uh, directorial debut. He's done a lot of um, uh, stand-up specials and different uh, TV stuff. I know he's a big hand on that Comedy Central show. This is not happening. I don't know if you ever watched that or not, but uh, heard of it. He, no, uh, I haven't seen it. He, he's a pretty good. He has a good visual style. I'll give him that. I mean, this is his first movie, and I think there's a lot of story problems here. But I think he has a vision. I'll give him that. Um. Okay, I, I don't think this is a great movie or anything, but I... I don't I, think you think that. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, the film is based on a true story, they're not kidding, um, that was published in the Wall Street Journal. It's about a group of grown men starring Ed Helms, Jake Johnson, Hannibal Buress, oh, John Hamm, and Jeremy I Renner. I just got that joke. Kidding? Mm-hmm. Like, like they're not kids? Kidding? Okay. Yeah. They spend uh, every year, these group of grown men spend one month playing the game of tag, like when they were kids. It's a way for them to stay connected in their day to day lives because they all live in different cities. And this is the year that they're finally going to tag Jerry, who's the Jeremy Renner character, who has never been tagged before because he is freakishly good at the game. Uh, Annabelle Wallace, uh, Isla Fisher, Rashida Jones, and Leslie Bibb also star in this movie. Uh, barely this is a warner brothers film barely my goodness um okay yes that is true but uh and anna i would say annabelle wallace barely does anything in this movie honestly all all the women in this movie barely do anything and i say that's one of the biggest problems Uh, well uh isla isla fisher has a great like like somewhat somewhat she she okay several scenes she owns. i mean to be fair now the characters are well developed so i guess she's on par with them I don't think they're super well developed, but I think you get enough from these characters to like them and believe yeah. that they have the singular goal of tagging Jerry. And a lot of the fun is watching them kind of like fail and uh, kind of bounce off of one another. It is the kind of movie that really relies on you liking these comedic actors already. Uh, and if you, do. if you don't like Ed Helms, for example, I think, I think this could be really tough to like. But okay, you obviously really dislike this movie, Will. I want to hear what I you do. think. I don't mean to uh, rain on your parade. I'm glad you like the film, and I know you're not alone. A lot of people have enjoyed it a lot, but honestly, I mean, this was, to me, maybe the most generic studio comedy I've seen in a while. I like, find that I ridiculous. Know. I mean, like you were complaining about Life of the Party. I felt like this movie would be way more generic. 
the life of the party. Oh. I mean, the only thing that really felt inspired to me were the uh, like Sherlock Holmes like breakdowns of uh, the tags from and Jeremy Renner. Plenty of those too. So I, I guess that's why I don't understand why you think there's it's like so a handful, but they're not like hilarious. They're just like okay, it's kind of amusing. Um, but like, I, I never felt like anything here was that like that really inspired. I mean, besides that, like everything else just felt kind of generic, pretty basic by numbers and none of it was that funny to me like i don't i didn't find any of it that amusing and that was because i think the world itself isn't really that established i mean there's no real like consequences for anything that happens there's no like consistency with what goes on like everything has varying stakes and so like it just felt like i had no investment to get into and i like the actors i have nothing against the actors i mean i don't think ed helms is amazing but i like all of them i think Hannibal Burris is a miracle worker, so the fact that he barely gets anything funny to do in this movie is really telling. Um, I don't know. I just didn't feel like anything here. And then, and then they had the gall to try and make it like, oh, this is more than a game of tag at the end, which is so manipulative. Oh my and goodness! No, they so set generic. it up though. They 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 it allude is. to it throughout the entire movie. They earn that ending. It is cheap. No, that is a cheap ending. That is playing on the sympathies of people watching it and honestly like i was going in not expecting like a like a, i'm not expecting incredibles 2 here i'm not expecting hereditary i'm not expecting a great film i even i was sitting there with a beer i was gonna have a cool fun time and i was just in complete boredom throughout and that's honestly i thought it was just boring like i i would be okay if the movie was just lighthearted but amusing but like it just didn't amuse me at all i found it predictable and regressive and i found the female characters especially be very uh one note they didn't even resolve Risa- uh Rashida Rashida jones. jones yes very tr- i agree with you on all of the female characters except for isla fisher i think annabelle wallace and Rashida jones are just throwaways here and they, they just kind of are in scenes without being part of them really yeah it, it just i don't know i mean I, I don't know. I mean, this is comedy, so I mean, I, I guess we can just walk away feeling this is subjective. To me, it's just not a good film. And it's not even an entertaining film, so I can't even let it go for those purposes. I just found it really disappointing in that regard. And I mean, honestly, I think this is a good premise. I think it would have been better as a documentary. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like in the vein of like King of Kong, where you actually follow the real people, because I think by then, like the whole Stranger in Fiction aspect of it could have been more palpable, and we could have like okay, this is kind of weird, but we can go along with this because, like, this is something that really happened and they told their real stories. I think that would have been way more amusing than what we got here. Uh, I found the script very undercooked. I found the movie constantly relied on the chemistry of its cast, and I didn't think they were that charismatic together. Like, I felt like they were just all actors who got hired to do the movie. I didn't feel like there was a real friendship there. Um, Well, I think a theme of the movie is, are we still, are we actually really friends? So I I would say that kind of worked, honestly. Um, I I really... There still needs to be like something there. If we, if if there's just a bunch of people being like, yeah, we're not really friends. Which I think there is. I I really think there is. I think you're underselling a lot of moments when the characters are making fun of each other, joking with each other. There are moments where a scene will just be them sitting around, uh, drinking a beer, kind of uh, prickling at each other and having a good time. And that was when it worked for me. So I, I really disagree with a lot of what you're saying here right i do think this is pretty entertaining stuff i think uh it's nowhere near the like the joke ratio that like game night has game night has very few jokes that don't land um i think this is a bit more akin to blockers for me where mm. i'd say enough of the jokes land that you you don't despise what's going on <laughs> like you don't get bored um 
And there were moments here where I was really laughing. I was really finding the premise funny. Uh, I think I think plenty of the jokes are good. And I think I, I think the, the idea of like whether or not like the idea that this this game means more to them is really captured through the Ed Helms character because you really can't tell that he takes it a bit more seriously emotionally than the other characters. But I love that they all just go with it. Like there's none of this like oh we why do we still have to play this game? You do get the sense that the reason they want to keep playing this game is because they really do care about each other. And I I was really taken by that. Like when you have like the whole getting the band back together moments uh, early on in the film you know they're having so much fun like running away from each other and like these you know high energy moments but then they like hug and they're like oh, i haven't seen you in a while and that really worked for me honestly so that's why i think the ending totally works and i didn't think it was playing off the of sympathies because it was really building for that and so I, I i do think this is a comedy with some heart to it i don't think it's profound i don't think it's like a terrific movie that's everyone's gonna love but I don't know. I, I think that like hating it, I don't know. I, I just I just don't quite see why it rubbed you the wrong way uh, so severely. Uh, I don't know, man. It just did not it did not jive with me. And I feel like sad to hear that. The fact that like I mean I like dark comedy, but I felt like this movie is pretty mean spirited throughout. And there's really? especially because, but cruel there are moments running when... joke towards the end I felt was really just not not fun i i don't know i just did not have fun watching this movie honestly but when things went too far in the game you did have, no i get like, the point narratively yeah but yeah, like you, but you did have the character sort of be like hey whoa like this isn't a game like i don't know i think you did see some of the characters having a conscience and that, that's what kept them likable eh, i still didn't feel like they got really any comeuppance for that i mean but whatever i mean i don't know i mean you're you're the kind of majority opinion on this film right now. I mean, it seems like most people talk to you are like, yeah, it's okay. I don't know. I, to me, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I found it uh, really intolerable to watch, and I gave it a D plus. Yeah, I'm sad to hear that. I give the movie a B minus. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's about as good as Blockers, and um, I, I think it's just fine. But uh, I, what I'm really hearing, Will, is that you're worried that as you and I get older, we're just you know. Not not going to be uh, we're just not going to be in each other's lives as much, and so if you want to play a game of show and tell, um, once a year, uh, yeah. then that that's good with me. That's fine with me. Can be duck duck goose actually. How about that? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. It'll be more entertaining than this movie. I'll say that much. <laughs> yeah, just you and me, Maverick Hines, Kimber Myers. We'll get the whole game together. All right. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'd, I'd be down for that. <laughs> All right. Well, that movie, that documentary, will be coming out uh, probably in a couple of decades but that's tag uh yeah i don't think we've disagreed this much on a film in a long time but uh probably I, yeah no i just i don't know i just did not i did not enjoy it honestly i did not find it fun I, but I'm, I'm glad always, you liked it, honestly i mean i'm always bummed when you don't like a movie will because like i feel like you 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 don't give out d's and d pluses easily um in my experience so nope i don't yeah, yeah. i try i try to look on the bright side of things and this movie uh it made me mad it made <laughs> All right. Well, that's Tag. Um, Will, you saw a new show that just premiered on Freeform. Uh, tell us about yep. season one, the episodes that you have seen for Cloak and Dagger. This is a Marvel uh, adaptation, correct? Yeah, it's the uh, new show and the uh, Marvel. Like, I don't know if there's like a term for what the shows are. It's not. Like, I'm guessing it's in the cinematic universe, but I don't know if there's like a term for. Yeah, what's there's no like an extended universe. Weirdly enough. Yeah, but it's like. They, they are in there, but they're like never reference, which mm. is kind of weird. But, um, well, except maybe I guess Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of connects to, uh, yes, what's going on in the movies, but otherwise, so does Daredevil, so does, yeah, 
Yeah, and I will say, I mean, the episodes I've seen don't connect anything to, like, the Netflix shows. It's it's basically its own little thing. Uh, I've seen the first two episodes of the show, so I'm not going to have a hard opinion on it. But, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on Cloak & Dagger. Um, I'm not really familiar with the comic, but I know of it. And uh, the basic premise is that there are these two uh, young adults... Um, who don't really like they kind of come from completely different backgrounds. Uh, one was great raised in a fairly privileged household. Like her dad was high up, and uh, there's this other kid who's African American who was kind of raised in poverty. And they both have these very traumatic incidents happen around the same time in their lives and pretty close uh, proximity or uh, quarters from one another. And um, so essentially, tragic tragic means happen and. Uh, the girl loses her dad, and uh, the kid loses his brother. Um, and they kind of gla- they gain these powers that they don't understand at first, which is uh, cloak, which is like uh, he can transport himself to basically anywhere, and uh, dagger, which is like she has this beam of light in her hands that can uh, be used to, I guess, like stab and kind of use like power means. On it's not really really well defined in this first these first two episodes but um like know, daggers it, what yeah like daggers exactly yeah um so it, it's clear the show is going to establish kind of like a relationship between these two characters uh, potentially even a romantic one but most of these uh most of the time in these first two episodes it's the characters are spent a uh, time apart kind of their own lives which makes sense but you don't really feel like that chemistry so far which is kind of weird um, and also, uh, the show deals pretty heavily with some very serious real life stuff, kind of mm-hmm. similar to, uh, the Netflix shows, uh, like the way Luke Cage and Jessica Jones do, but, uh, I don't know, it, it deals with, uh, like, uh, police brutality, assault, kind of things that are very, very relevant and serious. Um, but I don't know if, like, I, I don't know yet if they're using those for effective means or if they're kind of provoking the audience and, if it's effective, I mean, the way they, if they use it well in the next couple episodes, it could be really powerful. And if it's not, then it, it feels kind of cheap. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this has the potential to be either one of the best Marvel shows or maybe one of the most forgettable. I don't know. It, it's really weird to tell because they're pretty well done. I mean, the actors are very good. And... Um, Projection design is pretty well, but it's also a freeform show, so it's not really like my kind of thing. Truth be told, it's definitely going for a different audience yeah. than me. Um, but um, I don't know. Overall, I'm not quite sure if I want to recommend it or not because I want to give it a couple more episodes to determine how good it is or how not good it is. But overall, I mean, it's interesting. It's definitely got my attention. Yeah. I am I'm behind on the TV stuff from Marvel, but uh, from what I've seen, it's been kind of hit and miss. And this show is a little hit and a little miss so far. So, I don't know. But there's promise. There's definitely some good stuff in here. And I, I hope it's good. I hope it leads up to that potential by the end of the season. So, if it's something you think is going to be in your interest, i check it out. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be worth a while or not until I see the other eight episodes. I, I really want to see it. Um, I'm interested in, in it for a bunch of reasons. Um, I know that this was created by Joe Pekaski. And he worked on – he wrote a bunch of episodes for Daredevil. Which is why that's, right, yeah. that's why I think that maybe there you're seeing some similarities, and yeah, uh, he also worked uh, on Heroes. Yeah, and I think he also created another show called Underground for WGN a couple years ago, which See, I, I heard never was very saw good. That. I never saw that. I heard it's very good. 
Um, but yeah, I, 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 I am interested in it because I do think these are good actors and, um, I, I think that they are slowly, if, if you know anything about the cloak and dagger characters, the idea is that they do have a romantic relationship. And part of the reason is because I, the premise of the show and why I'm interested in it is because in the comics, what I found interesting about it is that these are two characters who their super heroics are kind of wrapped up in how well their powers work together and their powers only work well together as far as their romantic relationship is healthy. <laughs> so like, it's, yeah. it's a really cool like idea of, you know, like if you go right. through like a breakup, um, if you have like a fight or something, it can like parallel to your super heroics. And I think that that's what I hope that the show goes for. And it sounds like they're taking their time to get to that point, which is I guess. Yeah. I just found it weird that they didn't really spend, like they only spend, I think like two, maybe three scenes together. And they're very short whenever they do see each other. Then, huh? Well, they, don't they part? They have like a, a tragedy when they're kids and it's kind of right. Like yeah. 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 They're connected that way. And they hint to that obviously, yeah. but um, yeah, I don't know. It, like I said, it, it definitely is taking its time. Like you say, I mean, it's, it's it's about the build up, which I don't know if I'll be effective or not. Like I said, I mean, it's really going to be dependent on the next couple episodes, which makes it kind of hard to review right now. But I don't know. Like I said, there's potential here. There's definitely promise for a good show and a very relevant and uh, impactful show. But I don't know if it's going to be that or not. And so I'll you know I'll give it a tentative thumbs up. Um, I reviewed it for the website we got discovered. So if you want to read my thoughts, you can kind of check that out if you wish. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean. I think it's if you want to check it out, check it out. I think you'll probably get something out of it, but I don't know. I, I don't want to set anyone up to disappointment, so uh, I'm going to be tentative for now. I do, so go check it out. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the rest of these these mini reviews will be a little bit shorter. We'll just kind of get to the point, um, but we have a lot to get to. So first, I want to say I saw First Reformed, uh, the new Paul Schrader movie. He, of course, is a legendary screenwriter. Uh, not not was well known for his directing, but he made First Reformed, which I absolutely love this film uh this is uh starring ethan hawk and it's a new a24 film about a minister of kind of a tourist church it was like built hundreds of years ago and he he was a chaplain um in the army and he went through a lot of like trauma with his his family and we kind of catch up with him later in life and uh really dealing with like a crisis of faith and a crisis of his current events and like the world at large and uh cedric the entertainer has a serious role in this is actually kind of remarkable um most of this movie is ethan hawk's character uh sort of forming an unlikely bond with one of his constituents played by amanda seyfried whose husband is dealing with uh some really serious uh mental health problems um i don't know if i should say mental health problems but there is he's having like a significant episode i should say and I won't give away anything else that happens, but this really is, in my opinion, this is probably the best performance I've ever seen from Ethan Hawke. He's oh, been wow. and he's been in a lot of terrific films. Um, he's yeah, better than he's, uh, the before films. I was gonna, yeah, I I would say so. Uh, I oh, think, wow. okay. I th- and those are some of my favorite films of all time. Uh, this this one, I hundred percent recommend checking it out. Now, I do think that the ending is one of those endings that you either know if it's for you or you don't. And I don't think there's any middle ground. And I hope that people connect with it the way that I do. I think that you have a higher chance of connecting with what this film is trying to get at. If you have any sort of background or affiliation um, 
with any sort of religion, uh, because I think that that this is a very religious film, but not in the ways you might expect. I think in ways that are much more challenging than I think people are used to. Like I think the God's Not Dead crowd would watch this film and. I, I do not want to be in the same theater as somebody okay. uh, who, who would watch this because this is not preaching to any choir. This is preaching to, you know, <laughs> it's a good pun. Yeah, exactly. So that's first reformed. Well, really check this one out, man. I think you'll like I know it. I, I'm planning to it. It only came out this weekend and unfortunately I've been away at work and different things. So I haven't got a chance to see it, but I'm planning to as soon as I can, because I've heard it's honestly one of the best films of the year. I know I'm a big fan of the trailer and I want to know is, um, is the movie Letterboxd the same way, like with that kind of like boxed in style that yeah, the trailer it's is? Not, is... It's not widescreen. So, like, okay. uh, it's, it, so it's it is kind of interesting boxy. Yeah, it, it reminded me of Stanford Prison Experiment a little bit and a ghost story. Um, I even saw it in the same theater as Stanford Prison Experiment because the Aquarius. Yeah. Well, and, Stanford Prison Experiment didn't do it that way. It was wide. That was widescreen. I think the way though that that movie was portrayed is that like the frame. Oh, I get what you. Okay, okay, okay. So like you, yeah. you, the claustrophobic feels totally there. Um, no, please, please check this out. I, I gave it an A minus, and uh, I, I definitely recommend. I know a lot of people aren't as high up on this one as I am, though. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where you, how you might come out of it. Uh, you might. You might be a little. Lower honestly. Than me. Uh, basically, everyone I've talked to has been very favorable of the film. I've, so I've seen I, a few B minuses, Bs here and there, so we'll see. I, I definitely heard it's the best Paul Schrader movie in probably like twenty oh, yeah. years. That's that's hundred percent right. <laughs> uh, I think the last one was affiliation. Was that the last one that that was... he made, or the last one that people? Because that one's like eighties, isn't it? No, no, the last one he made was like Dying the Light and the Canyons yeah. and that Exorcist uh, prequel that was very very troubled. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think the last one people said was any it was worth seeing at all was uh, affiliation with Nick Nolte, hmm. and that was I, th- I think 1998. So that was yeah, literally 20 years ago. Yeah, I th- uh, I've heard that uh, there's a movie he did in the 80s that I think people say that's where he peaked. But uh, I'd have to look at his filmography. I don't know. I mean, it's weird because like as a screenwriter, I mean, you, you look at oh, like yeah. Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Obviously, I mean, those are the movies that, and he's never got nominated for an Oscar, which no. I found very very surprising. Well, this could be the one, um, and I think it would be. I think he would deserve uh, best. Uh, I think this is an original screenplay, so yeah, I think that would, mm-hmm. he deserves some not, uh, attention for that. But okay, that's yeah. first reformed. Um, oh no, go ahead. I was gonna say. I mean, uh, off uh, off topic a little bit, but uh, I was gonna recommend. There's an interview with uh, Nicholas Cage and Paul Schrader because they've worked together a couple of times, yeah. and uh, it's a very good interview. It's for Interview Magazine. They talk about the movie. I'd, I'd recommend that as well. Well, uh, well, we have a few more to get to here. Um, again, we, so the first one's Hereditary. Now, Kimber and Alicia and Candace already talked at length about Hereditary. We're not going to. Um, I think they they covered a lot of a lot of my feelings. Yeah, on they, this they one. talked about a lot. I, I really I think I was jiving most with Candace on this film. Uh, what about you? I mean, I think I think you might have liked this one more than me. I, it seems like it. I really, really like this movie. Um, I don't know if I was like super entertained by it necessarily, but <laughs> I was completely immersed throughout. I mean, this is easily the most gripped I've been watching a movie this year. Uh, See, as it far wasn't as, like that for me. I wasn't quite as gripped for some reason. Because I, I don't know, this movie really just got under my skin. Huh. It uh, in a way that I feel like a lot of movies this year have been. I've liked a lot of movies, but a lot of them kind of you know this, they they come and they go. But this movie has really kind of unsettled itself inside me. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I was really, really impressed to know that this was somebody's uh, directorial debut. Uh, Ari, yeah. Est- Ari Aster. Yeah. 
the, uh, the craft yeah. here is on point. I guess for me is I never really felt that unsettled. I, I just didn't find it very scary. And for, I, I, this is me. I just didn't think any of these things, like none of it, uh, like some of the stuff kind of like grossed me out a bit, but I was never, I didn't have that existential dread that I think a lot of other people are having for some reason. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's talking about a lot of serious things. I mean, it's talking about like grief and mental illness and uh, I don't know. I mean, and, and family lineage and stuff like that, obviously. And, yeah. The writing. And, I mean, these things, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I don't know. I think it's really just what you go into it and what you feel is scary. I mean, kind of same with comedy. It's all subjective. I mean, people mm-hmm. find different things scary. I don't know. I guess for me, it, was, it wasn't like I was like scared. I was more very, very unsettled. And I guess that's a weird compliment to say. Like, I, I was very, I felt very unpleasant throughout, but not in a way that was like uh, off putting, more like I was completely immersed, but I was like, this is really, really depressing. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's a weird movie to recommend just because it's it's not a feel good movie of the year by any means. No, but it's, it's not for uh, most people. Yeah, but... and I don't think a lot of people are going to, I mean, especially with the ending, which is going to be uh, a little polarizing. I don't know. I wasn't. I was the one thing I wasn't uh, wowed about by. I thought it was fine. The ending. Yeah, was I it? mean, I thought it was fine. I uh, yeah, I mean, I I thought thematically it came together in a way that I thought I I thought was satisfying. For yeah, what I, was I didn't to. necessarily have a problem with like the the way the story ended necessarily. Oh, I, see, I just I see. like the execution cut undercut the tension that was throughout. I found that kind of disappointing. That okay, wasn't... yeah. Then I get that. I get that. Yeah, and I just I felt the movie was very very effective about being like unsettling throughout, and then. It got kind of silly, which is fine. I love really silly horror movies, but I felt yeah. like it was like, oh, okay, that's that's fine. I mean, I get that this is how these things go, but it didn't it didn't really have that punch the same way I was hoping it would at the very end, the yeah. way it did reforce of it. I'll probably so. revisit this one, but not for probably a few years. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I, I think that like it's not the kind of movie that I think invites a rewatch so quickly. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I it's weird because like when I. When I got out of the theater, I felt the same way, but now I'm kind of itching to see it again. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think knowing what's going to happen is going to uh, make me appreciate the style of it a little more and maybe uh, have finer points about how it approaches that ending. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, I will say I, I've heard on rewatches, it gets funnier, like not in like a bad way. Like, like you appreciate how like dark the comedy can be at times. Yeah, it's there. there are like, jokes in the movie, but like it's very, very, very dark comedy. So um, I don't know. It, it's a weird little movie, but I I loved it to pieces. It's honestly one of my favorite movies of the year. Oh wow! I was debating whether it was my favorite, but I think the ending might have uh, tampered my enjoyment a little bit. So it's definitely an A minus film for me. A minus. Okay. Yeah. I, it's a B for me. Um, definitely very enjoyable, and the best parts I think are Tony Collette. And uh, Alex Wolf just kind of working off each other, but especially Tony Collette. And uh, there are some scenes with Anne Dowd here that are <laughs> they're stuck in my brain forever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, I I don't know if um, Tony Collette's going to get like a word nomination. She might like get like a SAG might. nomination, but yeah. she really should be in the conversation at the end of the year for best actress. I thought she was in just like, just gave an incredible performance. I mean, I I can't even imagine what these actors went through to get into their parts. Um, but yeah. And I mean, I, like I said, Alex Wolf is amazing. I mean, he, I, I mean, I never like was unimpressed with him, but like, this is the first time where I really like, was like, Oh yeah, he's, he's the real deal. Like this yeah. is an actor to watch out for. 
Couldn't agree more, but uh, we have to move on. That's hereditary. And uh, if you want to hear more about the movie, uh, last week's episode's got plenty for you, including a spoiler section. So um, no spoiler section for Oceans 8. I think we can be really quick with this one. Um, did you even see this, Will? Oh, I was going to say, I haven't seen this one yet. I've heard okay. mixed things, obviously. So yeah, It's uh, okay. It's all right. Um, it, it, You know what? It had a checklist of things it needed to do. Checked them all off. But it didn't have any – it didn't have that like – one last thing that really takes you by surprise. There, there are a few things here that differentiate it from Ocean's Eleven in that series, aside from the fact that this is an all-female cast. Um, but no, Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Rihanna, Aquafina, uh, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, Helen Bonham Carter, they they are a fantastic ensemble. Uh, this, is, this is a very entertaining heist movie. Absolutely worth, like, if you have any interest in it whatsoever, I think you'll probably enjoy it. Uh, it's just a pretty decent heist and one one thing that's interesting about the heist um this isn't really giving it away but uh the heist isn't really the big thing of the movie there there's a big section of it dedicated to what happens after the heist uh this is the stuff that involves james corden it's it's what's polarizing more people i think a lot of people really just dislike james corden as an actor um so i think if you really dislike him you might uh not be quite as into this but uh, I think overall it kind of works. Uh, I think it's pretty. Inter- I think it's very amusing. There's a a nice, a fun little uh, little subversion toward the end, and it's just a very breezy, enjoyable film. I I was really there with uh, uh, Kimber and Alicia. Their their takes on this, uh, I think, mm-hmm. were right on. So I dug it fine. I think I could give it about a about just a B as well. So uh, yeah, if you have if you haven't checked it out yet, it's perfect little date movie, um, and uh, I'd see another one for sure. That's yeah, I mean, a, yeah. I'm not avoiding it, to be fair. I was actually planning to rewatch the first three because it's been a long time since I've seen them. But I'm hoping to check it out soon. It's not on the top of my list, but it's definitely one I want to check out. Once you see it, or even before you see it, uh, the fellas at ATAG, that's anyway, that's all I got, our spinoff podcast, they did oh. a fantastic uh, Ocean's Eleven I was 11 thinking you episode. were bringing back TAG. Oh, no, sorry. Tag was great, wasn't it? Uh, um, <laughs> no, uh, Sam Noland and uh, An- uh, Anthony Battaglia and Jason Reed did an awesome episode where they did all of the Oceans movies, including the first one with the Rat Pack. And they also reviewed Oceans 8, spoiler free. So it's a very, very awesome conversation they had about why they like these films and why they are kind of met on a couple others. And I think they all basically enjoy all these films. So really great conversation. So you definitely seek that out, uh, Will Ashton if you want to okay, yeah. educate sure. yourself. No, just kidding. Um, I know you like these movies. Uh, to yeah, point. I mean, I don't know. I, I, the only one I'm not crazy, I haven't seen the Frank Sinatra one, but I I wasn't wowed by 12 when I saw it, but I was like 2004, so I would have been the same age I was when I saw Incredibles 1. So, I mean, <laughs> maybe I just need to revisit it. Middle school film critic Will Ashton. That, those yeah. were the days, huh? I guess it was a middle, yeah. I guess it was middle school. Yeah. Yeah. We we have to like create a name for the that character, middle school film critic Will Ashen. I guess Will, so. Yeah. William Tyler. I don't know. It's it's there. I don't know. Somewhere. Okay. Uh, here is a movie that I'm much more excited to talk about because I just I just saw it. Hearts Beat Loud. This premiered at Sundance. Stars Nick Offerman and Kiersey Clemens. I think that's Kiersey Clemens, right? I'm saying that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, um, I, I apologize if that's wrong, but I believe that's right. Yeah, I want to make sure I get that right because, my goodness, um, well, first of all, she is going to be, like, one of our biggest actors. Um, she's about to break out. Um, she she plays the daughter of Nick Offerman's character in here. This, this movie 
the, the, okay. I, I, I'm kind of like collecting myself here. Cause again, just saw this. Uh, it was directed by Brett Haley who did you watch hero or I'll see you in my dreams. Hero was the, um, what's his name? Sam Elliott. Uh, yeah. Sam Elliott. That was, I didn't see that one. Um, I, I, what was the other one? I'll see you in my dreams, which also has Blythe Banner in it, which, uh, I only, yeah, I don't think I saw that one either. So I guess I'm new to this filmmaker's work. Um, I am too. I, I want to see these movies now. So and I've heard really good things, but he also wrote the screenplay for this with Mark Bash. Uh, and this is kind of a, you know, if you like any of the John Carney movies like Sing Street, Begin Again Once, uh, this is definitely like Brett Haley watched one of those movies and was like, I could do that too. Um, <laughs> you know, this kind of movie where characters use music to build and sustain emotional connections. Um, that's really what this is. It's about a father and a daughter who kind of come together to, uh, she's about to leave her college. Uh, their, her mother died when she was young. And uh, th- these two characters are really just sort of having like one last, you know, they're writing songs together and jamming. She's a bit reluctant to it, but he kind of co- cajoles her into uh, writing songs uh, the summer before she leaves for school. And, you know, he's dealing with a lot of stuff. He owns like a record store that's failing. Tony Collette is actually in this movie as his landlady. Uh, Ted Danson plays a bartender. It's all very on the nose. Um, like they, they obviously are pretty self-aware of that whole cheers thing. And it really, it's an interesting ensemble of characters who all kind of exist in this, like the smallest corner of Brooklyn you've ever seen, uh, Red Hook. And I I was really charmed by this one. It really affected me. Now, I I don't think it has quite the same level of authenticity that a movie like Sing Street really has. But watching Nick Offerman play the guitar to his daughter, uh, a song that he wrote about her mother... I mean, it's probably one of my favorite scenes of the year. Uh, there's good music in here. It's not really music that I personally love as much, but I was really sold by it um, by the end. And th- this is one I really recommend, actually. I-, I-, I think that it's a wonderful indie movie. It's from Gunpowder and Sky. It's uh, it's just it's just really sweet, and and characters in here are just basically kind. It's kind of like Paddington with guitars. I don't know. It really worked for me. Um, I could see a lot of people watching it and being kind of bored by the sweetness here and maybe not quite connecting with these characters. Uh, But I definitely did. I I definitely bought these characters, um, probably for superficial reasons, uh, mainly because... I don't know. I, I just think that what Nicker Offerman is doing in this movie, he's obviously working off of like this spark plug of talent that is Kiersey Clemens. And I should say Sasha Lane is in this too. Um, she's going to be in Miseducation of Cameron Post later this summer. And she's one of the best things about that movie. Um, did you like American Honey? Will? Oh, I love American Honey. Yeah, I thought that movie was fantastic. You're, I think you're going to like seeing her in this one again. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly recommend this. Uh, even as like a movie, I think it's going to be in B territory for most people. Uh, it's a B plus for me. It really came close to A minus. It really did. Uh, there, there, there are just a few things that I would nitpick, and also I just don't think it's it's quite there in terms of like really selling itself. But I, I am like really high B plus, low A minus on this because. There's just something about the the story it's telling about what to do when you have a lot of different passions and they all kind of collide with one another. That's really the main struggle that uh, Kiersey Clemens' character is having is that she's good at, a, at these two big things and she's trying to decide how do you balance that out. And it's paralleling with like how do you balance like getting older, going to school with like the relationship you have with your dad 
And it really spoke to me on a very personal level down to what it takes to make a song, which, you know, I don't, I don't really talk about this that much, but like I write songs, I I play music and all of these scenes about like song creation just really spoke to me because like there even little things of like when he's uh, trying to like keep up with uh, something that she's done on a sampler and she's like, no, you have to double time. You have to do it faster. And like, he's like doing it and it, it kind of, kind of sounds right, but it doesn't. And you can see it in her face. And like, you really get the sense that like these, that the filmmakers really love music and that they're trying to like, you know, capture that in this movie. So it really worked for me uh, on a personal level. Uh, I, I don't know how it'll go. I guess it does have good reviews elsewhere, but uh, I don't know. I'll be interested to hear what you have to say, Will, if you see it. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't know if it's playing near me yet, but I've heard good things, and I heard it's a real charmer, so I'm glad that it's uh, worth my while, and I'll have to look out for it. Also, um, Kiersey Clemens is going to be Iris West in the new Flash movie. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, her profile is only going to get bigger from here. For sure, for sure. I think deservedly so. Uh, she has a voice that will knock you out. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't even really, know she could sing. So. She, her singing in this movie, it, it gave me chills. So, yeah. Oh, wow. All right, uh, Hotel Artemis. Whew, man, I'm getting oh, tired. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a lowdown Keep on Hotel going. Artemis, Keep Will. Going. Let's do this. Okay, Hotel Artemis. Uh, this is the uh, directorial debut of Drew Pierce, who is a screenwriter from a couple years. I think people know him best for uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and co-writing um, Iron Man 3 with uh, Shane Black. Uh, this movie, I was describing it off the air to John as if... Uh, the raid happened in the hotel from uh, John Wick Chapter 2, and it was filled with the characters from Smoking Aces and The Purge was happening outside. That's perfect. <laughs> um, if that sounds like your thing, this movie's pretty fun. I mean, it's not going to be uh, anything that's going to like break the mold or anything. It's pretty uh, standard as far as these things go, but the cast is enjoyable. They all give good performances. Um, it's a lot of fun characters engaging in uh, some violent acts. Um, the score is great. It's from Cliff Martinez, who I guess people know best now from uh, Game Night, but uh, he's been easily one of the best uh, composers of the past couple years. Um, he does a great score. The production design of the hotel is a lot of fun, especially considering that I'm pretty sure the budget of this movie was pretty minor. I don't think it's like low budget, but it's not a big, huge budget, and the movie looks very good. I mean, it, it looks good. And um, yeah, I mean, it just it's a good-looking movie. It's pretty slick. Uh, it's 90 minutes too, so it gets in and gets out pretty easily. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's nothing amazing. I, I I did find some of the story beats a little clunky as far as a you know guy who's directing for the first time. It it definitely has some uh, weak points. That I don't want to get into mm. too specifically because it invo- involves some spoilers. But overall, I mean, I think it's an enjoyable rental at least. I give it a B minus. Nothing like mind blowing. But if you want something to kind of uh keep your mind off the day-to-day worries and you've seen a lot of the better things out there then uh this one was pretty fun yeah so yeah i'll give it a b minus i'm considering seeing this this afternoon um or maybe tomorrow because i'm kind of interested in checking it out in the theater but i'll yeah, keep you posted on that i think you, you'll think it's okay i yeah. could definitely see you giving it like b minus c plus i'm also open to waiting for it on any sort of streaming or rental yeah i mean that's that's easier than uh i mean i will say though the theater experience for it is pretty good i mean it definitely like because of the score and because of uh, the real use of like kind of like ambient noise and like being in a confined place. It definitely uh, makes the theatrical experience pretty fun. So I don't want to dismiss that. But if you miss it from the theater, like if you don't get a chance to see it in theaters, then I don't think you're going to be missing like a ton. 
So I don't know. I, I think it works both ways. I mean, if you have like you have Movie Pass, so if you just check it out that way, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, one of the reasons that um, I'm trying to decide if I should see this one next or American Animals. And oh, I heard that's really good. Well, I've heard it's not <laughs> really good. Oh, really? So, I've, I've um, so Chris, the guy who's been our kind of designated third chair on um, in Ogre Tells Ogre, he tells me this is his favorite movie of the year. He gave it five stars out of five. Wow. So I've heard that it. I've heard everything from it's horrible to oh, really? it's just fine. Yeah, I haven't heard uh, anybody really like this. Enjoyed it as well. Interesting. Well, and I think Matanao did too, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to check that out then. Um, I, I am very I, interested in because I love the subject matter of American animals, and I'd love to talk about it on the show because we haven't seen it. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's coming near me next weekend. Um, it's weird because the one it's a movie pass co-production, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to the one theater of ours that doesn't have except movie pass. So I might have to talk to my boss about <laughs> <It's> that. Hilarious. <laughs> Uh, I I don't know how to tell them that, but I feel like if I don't, that might be bad. Yeah. Well, you might as well start with like, look, Movie Pass probably won't even be around by the end of the summer. But uh, actually, who knows? You think it's going to be that soon? Well, uh, people are saying it's on life support at the moment because it's bleeding money. But uh, anything could happen. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I guess now I have to take like pictures of my ticket now. Yeah, that's that's annoying. Uh, But. I mean, other than that, it's been pretty uh, consistent for me. So I guess I'll just have to use it as much as I can. Yeah. Before that well goes dry. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, hopefully we'll talk about American Animals at some point. For now, you know, there have been a lot of Netflix movies that have come out in the past few weeks. Haven't seen any of them. <laughs> I saw part of Ibiza, um, but uh, didn't finish oh, it. That? I, it was fine. I, okay, I saw it for Gillian Jacobs. It, it didn't hold my interest. Um, and I just got busy. I, so. Uh, I heard Set Up is supposed to be really, really charming. Yes, I, that's on my list, so I do want to see that one. Um, but the movie that I did see that is a Netflix – Netflix. Uh, I don't think they produced – like, you know, had it in production, but I think they bought the rights to it. It's Alex Strangelove. Um, to be totally honest, I don't really know that much about Alex Strangelove. Um, I, I could probably look it up as I describe it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I, I don't really remember who made this film. But, uh, well, it's uh, Craig Johnson, right? The yeah. writer director of um, Skeleton Twins, and he also made Wilson last year. Yeah, but I, I don't know if it's like a Netflix movie or if it's like that's, – that's what's tripping me up. It's like who made this? Uh, like maybe they bought the rights later. So, because, so I first heard about this movie. It, was, uh, it had its world premiere at the San Francisco Film Fest while I was there. And uh, one of my film friends, Alexia Mariello, I always say her last name wrong, she uh, she saw this and she thought it was all right. And and uh, I, I missed it, actually. I think I missed it because I, I had a screening for Lean on Pete. Um, so there was just a bit of a conflict there. So I, I saw this on Netflix and I immediately went to go check it out because, I don't know, I was interested in the premise. This is about a kid in high school who uh, is kind of confused about his sexuality. He's been dating... This girl, uh, he's played by Daniel Doheny, and the girl's played by Madeline Weinstein, who I th- I think she is like on her way um, to being like in definitely some more uh, films. She she's kind of a delight to see. But uh, they, they've been in a relationship throughout high school, and he kind of thinks that he has these repressed uh, feelings, and he meets a guy who kind of brings out of him sort of an interest in maybe exploring a different side of his sexuality, but he struggles with balancing that with the love and affection that he has for his girlfriend. So 
that's that's the premise and like the it's a very interesting like coming of age story it's about losing your virginity it's about um how like things that happen when we're kids kind of affect us and if this, i'm kind of making it sound like a drama this is very much a comedy it's very wacky there's some like really bizarre comedic elements here uh it, it, you know what it, it was pretty it was pretty delightful i had i had a lot of fun watching this movie very light breezy very uh very very interesting likable characters uh just kind of an honest message to it it's kind of like yeah it's like the direct-to-video love simon basically yeah i was gonna i didn't want to make a superficial comparison but i was gonna ask about that it it would be superficial to compare them only comparing them on like the way that they are sort of like portraying their subject matter how that's being perceived very different stories very different tones um because you know Love Simon was about somebody he he knew that he was gay in that movie. Uh, he, right. His struggle was coming out. This movie is a little bit more of like when you're not sure, and you you kind of like deal with how the world shapes your own perceptions of like your sexuality and like it, it's a little bit it, it's just tackling a different idea. And you know it's fine. It, it's totally fine. Totally serviceable. And uh, I I don't want to go into too much detail, but. If you're if you're on Netflix and you like to love Simon, uh, I think that this is a very this is worth your time for sure. Um, I think that it's uh, yeah, I think I think people would get a kick out of it. I, I lean between B minus and B. There's nothing remarkable about this movie. There's no performances that really stand out. So a bit more of like a really high B minus on it. Uh, but it's the kind of movie like for Netflix, you can just stream it and uh, pop it in the old uh, Netflix DVD player. Player, uh, yeah, it's worth checking out. Okay. Yeah, I'm just trying Sounds to good. muddle up some like you know renting on Netflix. Um, I did the I Netflix it, DVD it. thing. Did you? You got it. You're good. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Let's is that look. it? Well, no. We well, I think we got one more. Oh now. yeah, we haven't even talked about the big one or one of the big ones. Well, this one I think I've been waiting to hear your take on it because it's more personal to you. Won't you be my neighbor? I've talked about the film plenty. Uh, Kimber talked about it on last week's show. Well, this is it. Finish us out. Yeah, this is weird because, uh, as I mentioned before, for whatever reason, I saw this weeks ago, but um, I was embargoed until uh, last weekend, and obviously I wasn't on that episode. So, yeah, this is uh, this is the Fred Rogers documentary. A lot of people have talked about already, including you, John, and Kimber, and everybody on last week's episode did as well. But I just wanted to uh, let everyone know, I mean, this is honestly one of my favorite movies of the year. I, I knew it was going to be, I mean, unless it was... A major disappointment this was going to be one of my favorites for the year and sure enough i mean this was just a really really wonderful experience i mean obviously uh fred uh, fred rogers is one of my idols growing up i mean he is a local figure for me here in pittsburgh and uh obviously his legacy precedes him at this point he is you know definitely a bomb that we need right now and i think he is given his proper justice here i mean there are a couple things i was a little disappointed they didn't explore more like his family life i felt like there was an opportunity to kind of dwell deeper into that and they didn't but i understand that the movie isn't really so much about him personally but rather what he has offered to the world and what his show mm-hmm. has meant to so many people and i think in that respect it is definitely a fitting tribute and i think it's one that i think we just need to watch right now i think we need some fred rogers in our lives right now we need to have that optimism and that kindness and that niceness right now and i think that's something that's very important uh emotionally right now and i think it's going to be a movie it's going to touch a lot of people 
Um, and I'm glad it's getting such a warm response because it deserves it. And it's, yeah, it's easily my favorite documentary of the year. And I, I know you're a big fan of it as well, John. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of my favorites of the year. Um, I think I have it right now. It's my number eight of the year so far. Um, yeah, I give the movie an A minus. I just think it's a wonderful documentary. I, I could definitely see this one uh, getting the nomination for best documentary, maybe even oh, winning. Sure. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know what's going to come out. I mean, there's been yeah. some. I think there's a. What was the other documentary that? Oh, uh, RBG. That was uh, good as well. Which is it's, it's a good documentary, but I think this one is much much better. Personally, I agree. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, nothing against. Uh, rbg i thought that was a very powerful documentary as well but i think this one just affected me a little more personally so right. yeah um yeah I, I really am glad people are checking it out and i hope it gets uh, a warmer response or an even warmer response so what was yeah. your grade c plus oh I was, well yeah um yeah it was an a minus all right well that's an a minus average i'm glad you enjoyed yeah. it as much as i did all right and then sure. action point bonus Oh, bonus. Yeah, I don't know. I was, get- I was actually going to tie this into um, tag, but I'll just <laughs> talk about it real quickly. I saw this one uh, as well, and I went in with pretty low expectations. This was another movie I just kind of reclined my seat back, had a beer, and just kind of hoped for the best. And it was actually, you know what? I'm I'm actually of the opinion that it was okay. Like, Would it be I, I a don't, good double feature with tag? It, it, it Honestly, <laughs> I got more of action point than I did with tag, and I think... It's pretty surprising that this movie has like like a fourteen percent or something on Rotten Tomatoes as opposed to a yeah. tag which has like a sixty one percent or something. Uh, yeah, you sound a little I, bitter I right were... now. <laughs> What's that? So you sound a little bitter right now. I have a little bit because I don't know. I mean, like I think I think Action Point is not a good film. I think it's very cliched, but like in a way that's like uh, like kind of like a seventies eighties kind of like summer camp comedy like kind of like a meatballs kind of vibe or maybe like stripes mm-hmm. where it kind of goes through emotions it has like it's expected emotional beats but for me this one felt a lot more sincere and sweet whereas with a uh, tag it felt kind of telegraphed and uh, obvious but i don't know i mean this movie it's it's kind of a weird uh last hurrah for uh giant axville who has obviously been known more for his uh stunts and for his acting work but I thought he gave a good performance here. I thought it, it. I don't think he's an actor with tremendous range, but I thought he fit the role very well, and it felt like a personal project for him. He co-wrote the story, I believe, with um, Mike Judge and uh, two of the other creators from Silicon Valley, surprisingly. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's it's not a movie I can't really like wholeheartedly recommend, and I don't know if it is even a movie I would recommend necessarily. But I think if you go into this one with a uh, modest expectations and a couple brewskis in hand i think it'll be okay so i'm gonna give it a c plus all right c plus for action points uh man now it sounds like i'll have to check this one out at some point maybe i, I mean know. i don't know because you're not really a fan of giant knoxville yeah. so i mean oh, yeah. if you're not really a fan of his it doesn't really make much of a difference it's just kind of a serviceable summer comedy but i think if you're a fan of his legacy or lack thereof i guess it's uh it's an okay. It's it's it's, it's a fitting farewell. I think right. it's weirdly his like unforgiven. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Um, right away. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Th- there's also Gotti, which came out in select theaters and Superfly. Oh, I didn't see I any of those. See this train wreck. Yeah, zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think even <laughs> still. Um, <laughs> uh, have you you haven't seen this one, right? No, no. Um, oh, I, it's terrible but it seems like a fascinatingly terrible movie interesting hmm. it's uh directed by e from entourage with the yeah. score from and literally no one has liked it so it's uh 
it seems like quite a disaster. And I kind of the weird thing it. is the audience score is actually kind of high. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's like an eighty-four percent on Ron. Because I heard like the movie is like kind of like uh, his greatest hits. Like they like very sloppily go over um, his like life. But if you just want to see a bunch of like mob scenes, like like all like the shoot up scenes, I guess in Goodfellas, that's kind of what this movie is apparently. I mean, I kind of <laughs> do, but I don't know. Maybe not in that context. But okay, yeah. the point is that we didn't see it. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, let's normally we would go a little bit more detailed into our coming soon, but we're way over time. Um, had a lot to catch up on. So we'll just really quickly go through what's coming out next week. The, the big movie, obviously, is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom um, from Universal. It's the only wide release coming out uh, at the moment. Uh, Jay Bayona's new film already premiered internationally, and so far the reviews are mixed to positive. So we'll see what has to happen. I'm, I'm looking forward to, I think we've never really, really dove into Jurassic world before the 2015 film, which I'm I'm very curious how you and I are going to net out on that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're obviously a big fan of uh, the first Jurassic park and I I think it's a great movie too. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week. That should be a good conversation. Uh, The only limited release that I'm interested in is damsel. Uh, This is from Magnolia. This is the one that premiered at Sundance and uh, it's a, just a Western. It's kind of a comedy, too. Stars Robert Panson and Mia Wasikowska. I, I want to check this one out at some point. And uh, I think you were kind of interested in it, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I think Alex talked about it very briefly or maybe he, he talked about a decent amount. Um, yeah, he uh, he was favorable to the film. It does look like a weird kind of uh, comedy that I would enjoy, a Western comedy from the filmmakers of uh, Kumiko, the Treasure Hunter, which yeah. is a. Uh, Great little underseen movie if you get a chance to check it out. Uh, yes, it looks like my kind of movie, and I'm hoping to check it out if it's near me. Yeah. Uh, the other two releases are Boundaries, which is a Sony Pictures Classics movie. Uh, it's a road trip movie from Shana Festi, the, uh, who did The Greatest, and Country Strong and Endless Love. Uh, this also premiered at South by South by South by Southwest. Uh, and it's Christopher Plummer. He's not replacing Kevin Spacey, weirdly enough, for anything. But uh, it all, yeah, this one stars Vera Farmiga, and yeah, I've, I've seen the trailer once for this. Didn't really take me by storm, honestly. Not that interested in this one, but uh, yeah, if it's in your area, it might be worth a watch. And then there's The King, which is another limited release from Oslo Labs. They, uh, I forget what movie they just came out with too. Uh, but this is an Elvis documentary. Uh, it was at one point it was called Promised Land. Uh, it premiered last year at Cannes, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a documentary about Elvis. Um, it's from oh. the same director as The House I Live In and The Trials mm-hmm. of Henry Kissinger and a few others. And I think he also did Reagan. Uh, Eugene Hirecki? I don't know how you pronounce it. I mean, yeah, it's the guy that did Why We Fight, right? Yeah. It's so, a pretty famous movie. I think I won an Oscar. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I'm i just, I don't know. Are you interested in this, The King? Uh, I'll tell my grandma about it. Oh, wow. It's terrible. <laughs> no, my grandma's a big fan of it. <laughs> I don't know. It, it kind of sounded like a slight. Yeah, I'll tell my great grandma. <laughs> no, my grandma. My grandma. Yeah, she's yeah, a big yeah. fan of Elvis. Uh, no one in uh, my family's I, big I, fan. Honestly, I personally have no real uh, emotional investment in Elvis at this point, but I hope it's good. Who knows? Yeah, it might be interesting because we don't have an investment in Elvis. Yeah. maybe it would be illuminating. Maybe that would be the documentary that uh, that uh, would win best documentary. Who knows? Who knows? 
But, uh, That'd okay. be quite an upset. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry it went so long, but uh, I think uh, I had a blast talking about Incredibles too. Thanks again to Skylar Schuler for being our guest. And uh, don't forget to check out his work on the Dcast and Cinema Insider, everywhere else you can find him. Uh, if you love Cinemaholics and you want to support our show, please consider becoming a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash podcast, and you can find our Patreon and start donating. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review or rating to uh, help us get out there and reach more fans. Uh, And if you are a fan and you want to connect with other fans of the show and myself and Will Ashen and Maverick Hines, come to our Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com, go to the Cinemaholics page and uh, start liking stuff. Uh, We're also on Twitter. You can hit us up anytime. Twitter at Cinemaholics Pod. I think it's WGT Cinemaholics. Uh, I almost said it was just at Cinemaholics Podcast. That would have been wrong. Um, and you can email us anytime. You want to have some correspondence? You have any questions, feedback, complaints? Oh, yeah. We got a question, but we don't have time to get to answer that. We one. do have a question. Oh. We don't have time to get to it this week, so we apologize. But uh, email us anytime, Cinemaholics Podcast at gmail.com, and you might just hear your email on next week's show. So that'll do it for us this week from the Internet California. I am John Agroni. And for the internet of Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. First Skylar Schuler and Maverick Kinds, we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>